Well, again, welcome you all here this morning. We're going to continue on in our series of just stories from Scripture of people that have interactions with Jesus and what they learn from that and what becomes of it. Uh, And to start off this morning, I want to share two different uh, encounters I had with people. A little different, but interesting. So two years ago, this February, will be the Super Bowl that happened right before the pandemic hit. Right? Everyone back up and remember that. Well, I don't want to, you know, cause envy, but I got to go to the Super Bowl. And not only did I get to go to the Super Bowl, I got to go as a plus one on a private jet to fly from Sonoma County Airport to Miami and enjoy the whole ride. I was invited with a, uh, the Jackson Family Wine Group, which a friend of mine was associated with, and they needed someone to go. And, so I got invited, but it was great. But, so we're on this private jet leaving Sonoma. We get to Miami much quicker than commercial flights because you go higher and faster and everything else. And we taxied into Miami, the little private airport there, which was very congregated with private jets, as you can imagine, because everyone that has them flies in for the Super Bowl and everybody else. So we're, we're on the tarmac, and we get off the plane, and we're gathering our bag from the back of the plane. And, and two other jets pull up. Right, like category. There's no like parking spaces, I guess, for private jets. Right, you put them where you want it. So it pulls up fairly close to us, and the the stairs come down, and a few people come off. And just as I'm grabbing my little roller and heading toward the last person off that plane, was Paul McCartney. So Paul McCartney and I had a moment. <laughs> we did. I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. But it was very clear I got one of these. <laughs> and I. I gave him one back. And it, that was all that was said, but we had a moment. So I had an encounter with Paul McCartney. I was tempted to pull the cell phone out, and, you know, but I didn't. But I had an encounter that was really cool. You know, to see somebody who was a part of this little fledgling band called the Beatles. And, uh, but it really didn't have much an effect on my life, even though it was kind of cool. And I can say that I, okay, I didn't meet Paul McCartney but I had an experience with Paul McCartney. So another experience that I had, this was back in 2005. It was the first trip that I took to Malawi, Africa, with students from our student ministries here. And there were several adults that went along with us too. And I didn't know that I was gonna meet this man until we got there, and he was one of the first people that we met at the airport in Lalongwe, Malawi. And his name was William Mosongole. And William is a kind of a small guy. He was born in Zambia. And at the age of 12, his parents, who had 10 other children besides him, his dad came up to him and as a, as a ripe 12-year-old, he said, all right, son, I got to take care of the rest of the kids in the family. You're a man now. You're on your own. So he basically was jettisoned from his family. And within two years... He explains that he was very clearly called by God to be a minister, to be a pastor, and to be an evangelist out in the villages of Zambia and Malawi. So that, as his life progressed, that happened. And even during his 20s, he spent two years in the country of Rwanda. If you remember when the genocide was happening in Rwanda, there was so much death and maiming of people and pain and suffering. And he made his way to Rwanda... And during the day, he would sleep in a culvert underneath the road. And then at night, when nightfall would 
fall and it would be a little safer to be outside, he would go out and just find all the people that were wounded or had been killed or were maimed. And he would find them and tend to them the best he could and he would pray with them. That lasted for a couple of years and he made his way back to Malawi and, and became ordained as a pastor and helped with things. And then from then he moved on to working for a group called Ministry of Hope. And what his role in Ministry of Hope was, he would go out to the outlying villages and he would gather the orphans and he would gather the widows. Because in that culture, if you're widowed, you're basically ostracized out of your village as well. So he spent the next bunch of years ministering to widows and orphans. About that time was when we arrived in 2005. And when I met William, he very quickly kind of latched on to our group. He kind of was our tour guide, taking us to all the different places and doing the ministries that we did in rural hospitals and in a town called um, Imponela, where he had set up a, a, a ministry to those widows and orphans, where now the widows were starting to take care of the orphans, and we would provide meals for them and things like that. And I can't tell you what an impact William Mosongoli had on my life. In the three weeks that we were in Malawi, he taught me more of what it looks like to be like Jesus because of what he did, not necessarily what he said. He didn't talk about it a lot, but man, the way he acted, the way he treated people, the way he cared for people, the way he gave of himself consistently. He lived in a little two-bedroom, we'll call it a house, but it was a glorified shack. But he also had anywhere from eight to 12 orphans living with him all the time that he would feed and clothe and take care of. The rural hospitals, when they ran out of supplies, he was the go-to guy to go try to scavenge and get it back. And that interaction that I had with William in those three weeks taught me more about what it looks like to live like Jesus. And to be honest with you, it was hard. Here I was, the pastor, the youth pastor, bringing these kids to Africa to do all these good things, and I was completely humbled by William. And it changed me a little bit, kind of put me on a different trajectory. Our passage this morning is from the book of Luke, and it's about an encounter that somebody had with Jesus, and it changed his life dramatically. So if you would join me, it's in your bulletin, it's Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So it's a ten verses, and it's only in the book of Luke. It's not in the other Gospels. But... I think it's one of the most powerful 10 verses that we're going to unpack a little bit this morning and get a little bit of a backstory and realize how profound this quick little interaction that Zacchaeus, this little guy, had with Jesus and how it changed his life. 
So Jesus is coming through the town of Jericho. So Jericho was a, a very major city at that time. It was at a crossroads of trade routes. So it was very wealthy, had a lot of people coming and going. A lot of money was spent there. A lot of goods were purchased and everything else. They also had one of the few very large fresh spring wells uh, in the area. So that was a big asset for them too. And people coming through needed to refill their water supplies and everything else. And there were a lot of wealthy people that lived in Jericho. So we meet this guy Zacchaeus. And they don't describe Zacchaeus very much like, you know, what kind of a person he was who his family was or anything else, the introduction that we get to this man, Zacchaeus, is what he does for a living. And he's a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. So I don't know if you know about, you know, the Romans were very shrewd when they would occupy places. And they were supplied by taxes. But they didn't get their hands dirty with taxes. They would let the indigenous people, in this case, they would let Jewish people collect taxes from the rest of the Jews. And the way they did this is they would sell bids to collect taxes. So in other words, if this region had this set amount of taxes that needed to be collected, they would put the bids out and someone would say, I'll take that bid, and they would pay up front the amount of taxes that the, Ro the Romans needed. And then they were given the authority and the paperwork to go out in that region and collect as much tax as they wanted to. So tax collectors made some money. But they also were hated by their people because they were typically cheats and they would collect much more tax than was owed to the Romans. And they would ruin people's lives and they were merciless. So that's who Zacchaeus was. But he was also a chief tax collector, which means not only did he get to basically scam people out of their living, he got to choose the best regions in Jericho of the most wealthy people. So not only was he a chief tax collector and wealthy, he was doing really good. But he was just ruining his relationships with everybody else in those regions because he was the guy that basically robbed them blind. So that's kind of the setting for where we are. We're in a wealthy town and we're dealing with a wealthy tax collector that's probably hated in his community. It says Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. So at this point, Jesus is a pretty big deal. You know, he was like a rock star coming into town. Just a day or two before, he was on his way to Jericho, and just because of the murmur and the commotion that followed Jesus wherever he went, there was a man that was blind. Couldn't see what was going on, but he got word that maybe Jesus was coming. So he's yelling, not knowing who's out there, Jesus, Jesus. If you can see me, help me with my sight. And Jesus heals him, and the man can see. So Jesus was a big deal, and there were big crowds following him. So he comes into Jericho, big crowd of people following, a big parade of people as he's traveling through. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, wants to see Jesus. We don't know why he wants to see Jesus. It might just be because of the buzz that's going on. I mean, after all, he's claiming to be the Messiah, who they've heard about for centuries, right? And he's also got all the buzz around him that he's healing people, he's doing miracles and all these things. So Zacchaeus wants to see him. But I think it's more than that. Because Jesus was always or already getting the reputation of providing hope for people that don't have hope. 
for providing, whether it's a physical healing or an emotional or spiritual healing, that's what Jesus was about, and it's becoming very clear. And I think in Zacchaeus' life, because of what he's done in his profession and what he's done to other people in his community, I think he's probably pretty alone. Who wants to hang out with a tax collector? Who wants to hang out with the guy that's robbing you and your neighbors blind, right? And I think Zacchaeus is probably in a little hopeless spot, and he wants to see Jesus. And as we find out, it's actually, he's a little desperate to see Jesus because he comes against some obstacles. Because what we hear next in the passage is that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, if you remember the Sunday school nursery rhyme. But he was a short man in stature. And if you look at the, the society and the records and things of, of back then, if someone was considered very short, he was probably definitely under five feet tall. All right? So my wife and I were watching the Olympics last night, and women's gymnastics was being highlighted. Simone Biles, you know, our prime greatest of all time women's, she's four foot eight. And when you look at her in the crowd of all the other competitors and everything, it just, she's way small. So that was, think that when you think about Zacchaeus and the mass of crowds that are following Jesus. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus and there's some desperation. So he finds a sycamore tree that's on the root and he climbs up in it. Now, if you can imagine being the chief tax collector that's not a very popular person and you're trying to fight your way through crowds, you're probably catching some elbows. These people are shoving you. We don't, want, you're, we don't want to be around you. So he climbs up in this sycamore tree. It was probably a little humiliating for him to do that. Because at that time, culture and everything else, grown men didn't climb trees. Little kids would climb trees. So can't you just kind of feel the vibe, too, of get out of here, Zacchaeus. We don't want you near us. Getting shoved and everything else. <laughs> Look at the idiot. He's climbing a tree. Grown men don't climb trees. But there was some desperation in Zacchaeus to see Jesus. And I think that's a point we think about today. Sometimes you have to humble yourself and be a little bit desperate to get to Jesus. So he gets up in his tree, and you can kind of picture what's all going on. He's waiting for the right moment. He just, he's, in a, he's seeing Jesus coming down, and the crowd's coming, and you can kind of see a little anticipation. All of a sudden, Jesus is there. And he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. It's kind of like the kid on the playground, last to be picked every time. I know, you don't want me either. That team doesn't want me. You want me? Jesus, you're choosing me? So excitedly, Zacchaeus gets down. He says, you're going to my house today. But immediately, he gets the response from the crowd, right? <laughs> Jesus, why are you going with him? Don't you know what he does, what he's done to all of us? And remember at that point, too, in the, the Jewish life, the way you got your status was how well you maintained the law, how, well, how good you were. You know, and the, the little bit of arrogance, you know, when you compare yourself to somebody, it usually either comes out in insecurity or arrogance one way or the other. So this crowd, this arrogant crowd, because they probably had kept the law much, but they didn't rob and steal from people. Jesus, why don't you come see us? Why are you going? Do you even know who this guy is? Why are you choosing Zacchaeus? 
The other thing that's interesting to note is he doesn't say, Zacchaeus, let's, come on, let's have a talk. He says, no, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. And what that meant, what he was saying is, I'm going to come spend some time with you. And again, culturally, that meant they were probably going to spend a meal, at least one meal together, in an extended period of time. And when you were welcomed and invited into someone's home, there was this perception that you guys were going to have some serious interaction and even a level of intimacy. And people, things were going to be said, arguments would be healed, uh, things were going to happen. It was a gift to be welcomed into somebody's house. And now Zacchaeus, the least of whoever thought was going to happen to him, gets to have Jesus come to his house. Why did Jesus choose Zacchaeus? I think Jesus knew exactly what the crowd knew, that he was probably someone who had been rejected because of what he'd done and who felt unworthy. And the really cool thing about Jesus, the whole time that he walked the earth, the culture and society set these standards and Jesus was above all of those. Because all we know about Jesus and all the interactions that he'd had with people up to this point, who were the people he was attracted to? He was not drawn to the people who had their acts together. He was not drawn and did not want to spend a lot of time with all the Pharisees and the religious leaders who thought they had it all together. He went to the prostitutes and the people that were sick and in need of healing and the people that knew they had messed up. At, towards the end of the passage, we're reminded, but even at this point, it's still in the forefront of Jesus' mind. He is where he is to seek and save the lost, to find those that need him most so that he can explain to them that nothing they've done or said could make him love them any more or any less. I think Zacchaeus was painfully aware of his need and what he'd done and that the culture and the people had rejected him. And Jesus' purpose was to come and to change that. So the crowd reacts, and they make it clear that they have rejected Zacchaeus because of what he's done. He's stolen from them. He's made himself an outcast. And they also feel a little superior. So that brings us to what happens between verse 7 and verse 8 in our passage. Jesus goes and spends some time with Zacchaeus. So, the biggest misunderstanding in Scripture, in the New Testament Scripture, once Jesus comes and once Jesus makes everything different, the biggest misconception is that the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell. That it really does matter how many points you compile in your positive category compared to your negative category. And Jesus' sole purpose was to change that and to get into people's minds that it does not matter ultimately as far as his love and his acceptance and his grace is concerned what is in your plus column and what is in your negative column. He knew Zacchaeus needed that. That's why he chose Zacchaeus out of that crowd. Because really... What does matter is our understanding, our proper understanding of grace and of mercy 
The fact that we get what we don't deserve because of God's love for us. And we do not get what we do deserve because of God's love for us. It flew right in the face of the Pharisaical law and everything that everyone was going to at that time. But that's what Jesus wanted to communicate. It's not about what you do and don't do. It's time to let go of the guilt and let go of the shame and quit trying so hard and just believe and understand how much God loves us. And not corporately us, personally, me and you and Zacchaeus and everyone else that's ever needed God's love. Nothing can get us, nothing can get Jesus to love us more than he does right now or keep him from loving us any less than he does right now. It is called grace. Zacchaeus knew he needed it and Jesus brought it. And you know what? When grace happens and we get it, grace changes us. There's a Christian artist named David Crowder. And in our youth room upstairs and at Mexico youth groups and different things, we sing a lot of his songs just because they're, they're contemporary, they're fun, but they're very powerful. He wrote a song called He Is. And I want to just read you as almost like a poem, just the words to the song He Is. If you're troubled and heavy hearted, come to Jesus and find your peace. If you're run down, empty handed, Come to Jesus and find your peace. He is hope for the hopeless, rest for the weary, help for the hurting. He is. He is. Mending the broken, bearing the burdens, all that you've needed, he is. If you're wandering in the darkness, come to Jesus and find your way. If you want freedom, need forgiveness, just come to Jesus and find his grace. He's hope for the hopeless, rest for the weary, Help for the hurting, he is, he is. He's all that you're needing, he is. He is comforter, counselor, prince of peace, author and maker of everything, defender, deliverer, king of kings, he is, he is. Helper and healer forevermore, savior and shelter through every storm, my refuge, redeemer, the Lord of lords, he is, he is. Child of heaven and son of man, provider, protector, the great I am. Alpha, omega, beginning and end, he is, he is. Hope for the hopeless, rest for the weary, help for the hurting, he is. Mending the broken, bearing the burdens, all that you're needing, he is, he is. Zacchaeus needed, he is. And that's what Jesus brought him that day. And guys, we have to realize that Zacchaeus is not the only one that is offered he is. Every single one of us has had that offer made to us. And Jesus is passionately pursuing each one of us so that we would know that. And we would experience grace and so that grace could change us. So Zacchaeus has Jesus for the day, right? He experienced grace and love and kindness and forgiveness. And we don't know what went on. It's not described. 
whether it happened quickly, whether it took a day for the light bulb to go on in Zacchaeus' head of how much he was loved and the kindness of Jesus was accepted. In Paul, or Paul in Romans chapter 2, he's talking about judging other people. You know, and as we're judging other people, we're also not judging ourselves or looking properly. But he makes this statement, he wants us to remember that we're, we're tempted to judge people for what they've done and what they haven't done. That when the kindness of God is extended to people, it starts to change them. And repentance comes and change comes. And then restoration comes. And that is what is experienced by Zacchaeus. At some point, he accepted the grace that Jesus was offering. And he accepted the kindness. And then change started to happen in Zacchaeus. So in chapter, or excuse me, verse 8, it starts to show a little bit of that change and the product of it. So it says, Zacchaeus says, a very wealthy man, by the way, says, Jesus, okay, here's the deal. I get it. I'm going to change my ways. Things are going to be different. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And anyone that I've cheated, I'm going to give four times back to them. And what's interesting is when Jesus had this first interaction with Zacchaeus, he didn't come to him and say, okay, Zacchaeus, let's have a talk. And if you give half of what you have to the poor and start changing your ways and paying people back a lot more than you owe them, then I'll forgive you. Then we'll have restoration. No. All of that change was a product of the no condition, unconditional love and acceptance that Jesus offered Zacchaeus. But as a result, Zacchaeus experienced that kindness. Things started to change. And so these are his changes. So just to put in perspective, the Levitical law at that point, if you had cheated someone out of money, then you were required to refund them one-fifth of what they had, you had cheated them. So just imagine you'd been scammed out of $1,000 by Zacchaeus. He comes back and he wants to offer restitution. And he gives you an envelope and you open that envelope. And there's not 100, there's not 200 there's $4,000 in that envelope. It would be like someone broke into your home and stole your used laptop and then a day or two later shows back up at your front door with a truck and he gives you a brand new laptop and all new kitchen furniture and appliances. That's the level of what Zacchaeus is saying he's doing. And I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor, which was probably a good sizable amount. Now, I don't want to speak ill of the people that have tons and tons and tons of money in this world right now. But in, you know, Jeff Bezos just flew into space for like, what, a billion dollars or something? For like 10 seconds? And he did give $100 million to the World Food Bank, the chef that does the food. But he probably could have afforded to give another billion. That's the level of generosity and change from a man who robbed people for a living and now he wants to give half of it back to the poor and overcompensate for anything he may have done. When grace happens and when we realize it and when we accept it, change starts to happen and we start to become different people. The guy who built his life on cheating and stealing from others now proclaims this by what he's doing. That's what grace does. The extravagance it's shown us starts to be shown 
in our lives towards others. So at this point in our passage, you think, well, Jesus has done enough, right? He's totally changed the life of this guy. He's now a different person. But that's not where Jesus stops. Jesus also restores Zacchaeus to his community. Because publicly, he says, salvation today has not only come to this man, but to his household. So he's talking about everything that encompasses Zacchaeus and his future. And then he says something unique. He says, this true son of Abraham. So we know Zacchaeus was Jewish, but he also kind of lost his status by what he did. Because see, a true son of Abraham is someone who held full position as a Jew. Because they were welcomed and they were entitled to all of the covenants from Abraham. And in his community's eyes, and probably in his own eyes, by his actions, Zacchaeus had ruined that. But Jesus says, no, this true son of Abraham, this new, changed, different guy, he's okay with you guys now because he's okay with me. And then we have Jesus' missional statement as the last verse of our passage. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That seeking part is still going on for us today. And the saving part is still going on for us today. And really that word save has a connotation of restoration. You were once and now you're entitled again to be in the good grace and love of your heavenly father. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out. He showed him kindness and grace and Zacchaeus was changed and he was restored because of his encounter with Jesus. I think these are 10 of the coolest verses in the Bible, even though they're only listed in that one spot. Because God wants this story of Zacchaeus to remind us that he's passionately pursuing each one of us, that he has grace and mercy and kindness unconditionally to offer to us. And if we get that, if we understand it and grasp it and accept it, then we become changed. It may not be as overnight as Zacchaeus' actions and lifestyle and everything was, but it is a process. And that's what God desires for us. Restoration and change. So my interaction with Paul McCartney had no real impact on my life. It was cool, but no real impact. My encounter with William really set my life in a different trajectory and had a huge impact. One required some time. Jesus spent a meal and time with Zacchaeus. I hope that as we realize the opportunities for encounters with Jesus, that we don't just go, what's up, Jesus, and move on. But that we take the time to let him spend time with us and to change us. That's when we experience he is. So our, as we close, I'll pray here in a second, but... The closing hymn that we have this morning, I asked Steve to do this one. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's actually an old spiritual that just celebrates the fact that we have let our burdens go and we can celebrate it. So I encourage you as we sing this, masks on and everything else, that you can dump some burdens and celebrate today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are pursuing us every moment of the day. Help us to realize that.
Help us to not just accept the grace you offer, but seize it and grab it and celebrate it and let it change us. And Jesus, we are grateful that you gave of yourself so that this may happen. In your name, amen.